tokenism has no place in the church, which is why we should all have at least three black friends. Now is certainly not the time to be a narcissistic jerk by only thinking about ourselves. Now is the time to love our neighbor by getting our fifth booster and still wearing your mask. Welcome to the Godly Troublemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Parker. The Godly Troublemaker exists to shine the light of Christ in the eyes of the idols of our day. Let's go get into some trouble. Introduction As the 2022 midterm election draws near, we're reminded once again just how remarkably stupid and wicked the Democrats are, and just how feckless, weak, unprincipled, and spineless the Republicans are. And as division and separation continues to grow within our country and evangelicalism, we are reminded that Christians shouldn't be political or anything. Rather, we should be spending our time sharing the gospel by fighting systemic racism, climate change, and providing a shoulder to cry on for all the poor women that might have to travel over state lines to now kill their baby. Now is not a time to add to the division by calling people with penises men and people with vaginas women. Now is a time to exercise pronoun hospitality and provide a welcoming space for the trans community who have been so grossly marginalized by those on the right and by Christians who only think about politics and stuff. Now is not the time for party politics, but it is the time to make sure indigenous people groups and those who are not indigenous but are still brownish and stuff have a safe space to live and are provided for in every way so that they can vote Democrat. Because we all know the best way to fight racism is to make sure we do everything we can for those who aren't white, because they can't do it for themselves. And brownish kids are every bit as smart as their whiter counterparts. Tokenism has no place in the church, which is why we should all have at least three black friends. Now is certainly not the time to be a narcissistic jerk by only thinking about ourselves. Now is the time to love our neighbor by getting our fifth booster and still wearing your mask, which somehow miraculously shows the love of Christ by destroying your own health while at the same time not affecting your neighbors in the least. Now is the time to really show the world what Jesus is like as we martyr ourselves for the secular jihad. How would the world ever know Jesus otherwise? Not only that, Jesus didn't say anything about politics, but he did say a lot about caring for the least of these, the poor, the marginalized, and oppressed, like the Ukrainians right now, who are still under the attack of a wicked tyrant. And if that wicked tyrant is allowed to win, or even to live, then where in the world will the wicked tyrants who run our own country be able to launder their money? All of this to say that when you give the crazies the keys, the whole world becomes an asylum. And I believe that this is good news for the Christian, because the wheels of secularism have fallen off and are rolling down the road with the car sliding closely behind. 
It should be apparent to everyone at this point that the Republicans are never going to make America great again because they had no idea what made America great in the first place. Not to mention the fact that Trump got completely played by COVID and was the one in office when the economy was shut down, churches were being closed, and pastors were being arrested. He was in office when the first stimulus bills were passed and when masks and experimental vaccines were being forced on the populace and when BLM and Antifa destroyed our cities. Now, don't get me wrong. I would vote for Trump. I did, twice, over any Democrat any day of the week. But I would also vote for a poop chucking monkey at the zoo over any Democrat. Now is probably a good time to point out that poop-chucking monkeys don't build gulags. This in no way, shape, or form gives any evangelical an out who voted for Biden because, well, orange man bad. Anytime you see anyone who voted for Biden, you should gaze directly into their eyes until they turn away in shame like a dog pooping. Biden is absolutely wicked and disgusting, He is a corrupt pedophile and rapist who can't form a sentence and has a nasty habit of crapping his pants in public, allegedly. Some of you may be surprised that I am saying out loud what you are all secretly thinking about the most popular president in American history ever. But alas, it must be said. And honestly, I thought I would give the IRS another reason to withhold my taxes for the fifth year in a row. And maybe 25 FBI agents will raid my house because, you know, I'm pro-life and everything. Does this mean that we shouldn't vote? No. Given the option between Cyrus or Nero, I would vote for Cyrus 10 out of 10 times and not feel bad about it. However, we should feel bad about the fact that these always seem to be our only two options. I think we should see that as a sign of God's judgment upon our nation kind of like the gubernatorial race in Michigan this year. The only thing more incompetent in Michigan than the Democrats are the Republicans. Their solution to beating the Dark Lord, that is, the high imperial empress Gretchen Whitler, was to find a woman to run against her. You know, the kind with a vagina. Because they were certain that's what voters wanted. Nothing says tokenism like, hey, we have one too just like they all did after Obama won. Let's quick go find someone who's black. God says that it is a curse upon a nation when women and children rule over you. But apparently the Republicans in Michigan have a new slogan. If we're all going to be damned, we might as well do it all together. Because, you know, unity and all. So here we are, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do you vote for a woman who has no chance of winning and won the primary, just like Biden won his, and is, well, a woman? Or do you not vote, which would be essentially a vote for the offspring of Satan? These are the options that secularism gives us. That is to say, no good option. Do we receive all of God's judgment all at once, or do we try and stretch it out a bit? Because of this idolatry, Men end up being used by the God they think that they are using and discover that idols never deliver on their promises. Those who seek to control the climate are the worst polluters of it. 
seeking the government to control our health and education has created one of the fattest and stupidest nations on earth ever. And who would have thought that defunding the police would have created more crime when the only criminals on the streets in the first place were the police? The fact of the matter is we are a bunch of fat, stupid, idolatrous sinners, and we are getting everything we deserve as a nation. We have abandoned the fear of God and have whored ourselves out to the idol of personal peace and prosperity for a long time, and now we have neither. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The -the over-the-top Americana that I love and the America that I grew up in isn't on life support. It's dead. We've killed it. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the better. After the 2020 presidential election, I did several videos saying that our country, as we know it, is dead. The cheating that went on in that election was so disgusting, so in your face, so painfully obvious, and so intentionally demoralizing that no one has ever even tried to deny it. The only argument that has ever been presented against it is that the Democrats cheated, but not enough to really make a difference. And the fact that many on the left are using the term election deniers tells you everything you need to know. The Democrats then went on to persecute and prosecute any and all political opposition that they could without due process of law or the right to a fair and speedy trial. January 6, anyone. And the recent raid on Mar-a-Lago almost all but guarantees a civil war. There is simply no good way out of this mess. If the Republicans get in power, what do they do? Christians should long for justice. Democrats and many Republicans should be behind bars, but they will never prosecute any of their own. And if they actually grow a pair and prosecute everyone involved in this mess, then it just feeds the narrative of attacking political opposition, even though it is necessary. Everyone knows if you don't kill the fox in your garden, he will continue to consume everything in front of him. Because we've thought for so long that we know better than God and can control outcomes, we've put ourselves in a position where if the right thing is done, the crap is going to hit the fan. And if nothing is done, it will be much worse. And our country has been on a decades-long chili and tequila diet, and Montezuma is about to blow. All of this coupled with the fact that none of the voting systems have changed over the last couple of years, and we are still allowing massive mail-in voting because COVID, and we have rewarded the absolute worst elements in society over the past couple of years, not to mention that the fact that the SS, I mean BLM and Antifa, paid terrorists by the Democratic Party, it's not hard to see that things are going to continually get worse before they get better. Nationally, we have got ourselves into such a position that there is no getting out of this mess that we have got ourselves into without blood. We will either be covered in our own or we will be covered in Christ. Those are the only two options before us. Christian nationalism. There's a lot of talk these days about Christian nationalism. No one is really sure where the term originated from. I believe it was a pejorative term thrown on anyone that had right-leaning tendencies with the attempt to homogenize 
demonize, and marginalize anyone who is not on board with statism. Because, you know, tolerance. Though this may not have been the first term that many Christians would have taken to describe the building of Christ's kingdom in the world, it does seem to be one that we can work with. And instead of causing marginalization within the Christian community, it actually seems to be causing some genuine reflection amongst those who truly love Jesus. Perhaps over time, it will come to have the same effect as the pejorative term Puritan has had. That statement may excite some of you. Well and good. Everyone wants to think, write, and preach like a Puritan. However, I would just like to point out that the depths of those thoughts were only produced in the cellar of affliction while facing down real political opposition and a real Leviathan. Something that those who have an affinity for Puritan theology might want to remember, given that most of them, especially in my own city, were all too willing to shut down their churches and bend over backwards while Leviathan had his way with them. But who am I kidding? No one remembers two weeks ago, let alone two years ago. This to say, if cowardice is not repented of, I promise you it will be repeated. Now, before we bite into Christian nationalism, allow me just a few more appetizers. This term is being thrown out there to describe anyone who disagrees with the left. Though anyone who belongs to Christ, by definition, has to oppose leftist ideology, it would be terribly wrong to think of conservatives or Republicans as associated with actual Christian nationalism. The days of voting for someone just because they have an R in front of their name should have died a long time ago. If your whole resume is that you are not as stupid or as wicked as your opponent, it doesn't mean that you have actually anything to offer. Let's be honest. Both parties suck, and they suck in glorious fashion, which might explain the frequent trips to a particular island. However, they suck for differing reasons and in differing ways. Republicans suck because they do not hold to the principles they profess, which is evident in their stellar resume of conserving nothing. You may say, well, what about Roe? Roe was a horrible decision that took 50 years to overturn, and if it wasn't for the work of valiant abolitionists, it wouldn't have been. But what did conservatives and Big Eva do with the greatest conservative political victory in our lifetime? They apologized for it instead of dancing over its corpse, which tells you everything that you need to know. Unfortunately, the only reason 90% of these yahoos sound sensible is because of what they are being compared to, which is an ideological Gehenna. The Democrats suck, and they suck with a capital S, not because they do not hold true to their principles, but because they do. They are wicked, and God has turned them over to a wicked and debased mind to do what ought not to be done. It's important to note at this point that Democrats telegraph their punches, just like a three-year-old who's coming in hot all the way across the room. Or they have a tell for every single hand that they play, which is to say that they accuse you of everything that they are currently doing. They have been building a secular empire for decades, which is a theocracy just like Islam. 
They have been building their theocracy, their empire of dirt, with impunity and without opposition under the guise of neutrality for a very long time. That is to say, their problem is not with theocracy. There is no separation for them between church and state because for them, the state is the church. And they have absolutely no problem with nationalism per se. Their problem is with Jesus and his followers and their message, which is Jesus Christ is Lord and no one and nothing else is. This also means that Jesus Christ is Lord over the state, which has always been included in the Christian message and which tyrants have always understood and currently understand better than most of the church in the West. In saying this, no Christian is promoting theocracy. That is, removing distinctions between church and state. These are two separate spheres that God has given derivative authority to, to operate under the banner of his name for his glory. Those who serve in the civil sphere are God's deacons, servants, to administer, execute, and codify into law God's law. By rightly applying God's law, the evildoer is punished, thus promoting and perpetuating righteousness in the land so that all may flourish and grow. The state holds the sword to execute justice as defined by God, and the church holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The state is not to force worship, and no one believes that the state can convert anyone. Elders in the church and the church of Jesus Christ have their part to play as well as the magistrate. These are separate offices in separate spheres. However, neither operates autonomously because both are under the lordship of King Jesus. If you want to call this anything, you can call it a theonomic vision, although I would prefer to just call it biblical. This is all opposed to the secular theocracy that we have now, where you have forced worship and forced conversions by a wicked state that demands loyalty and allegiance i.e. your repentance and faith in them. To use the term Christian nationalism is to say nothing more than the most basic of Christian professions, and that that is Jesus Christ is Lord over not just our own country, but every country. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, currently sits enthroned in glory, where he is building his church through his ambassadors and will ultimately fill the earth. 
every knee will bow to King Jesus. That will happen. The only uncertainty for the people of God is how often and how many the ripples will be between now and then. If you are ever asked, are you a Christian nationalist? Your response should be, duh. This is nothing novel. It's par for the course. The only reason it seems novel is because we have spread our likes to the false god of comfort and safety a long time ago while still trying to maintain our Christianity like a good Jew sacrificing to Moloch, which has resulted not only in the absence of comfort and safety, but also Christianity. A post popped up on my feed the other day from 12 years ago that still holds true today, where I said, quote, The word love does not show up in the book of Acts. However, there are over 114 references to words like riots, uprisings, beatings, sufferings, persecution, and the like. Even someone of subpar intelligence has to look at this and say, what were they doing that we are not? Perhaps the most obvious answer is the most ignored, that theirs was a church filled with believers, and ours is not. Conclusion Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The nations, all of them, belong to King Jesus and will bow down before him. This doesn't in any way mean that Jesus would not be right in wiping our country off the face of the map. Our sins are a multitude and high-handed, and it is only by the grace of God that he has not yet done this. As the wheels are falling off secularism right in front of our very eyes, we should rejoice and be glad, and then go dance a jig over its rotting corpse. This presents the church with a wonderful opportunity to proclaim a 100-proof, full-throttled gospel that covers all of life, which Jesus is Lord over. As things get more crazy and even more confusing, I would strongly encourage you to find your people not just to attend a place of like-minded people, but to contribute to their fellowship by continually asking yourself how you can serve and love and add value to this fellowship. Simply attending some place isn't going to be enough when a particular kind of it hits the fan. If people's only exposure to you and your family is an hour on every other Sunday, forget it. If resources are scarce and limited, people will share with family and loved ones and people they know and know they can trust first, and they should. Also, true, genuine Christian fellowship is attractional. It will stand out now more than ever, which means there is going to be a huge, uncomfortable sifting process that takes place in broader evangelicalism. This is good, and we should be thankful for it, like the removing of a rotten tooth. This means that there will be peaks and valleys along the way. There will be trials and triumphs, and we need to trust the Lord through all of it. Which also means that we will have to get used to holding a certain tension in our hands at all times. That is, between becoming a separatist and an alarmist, both of which would be reactionary and not proactive. The righteous man sees danger and hides himself. We should be prepared for things to get crazier, whatever that means. But we also shouldn't remove ourselves to a cabin in the woods filled with food and ammo, though that sounds enticing. It only serves to remove you from your people 
and puts a big fat target on your back from those who may want your stuff. Not to mention the fact that a man alone in the woods has a pretty small mission field. But this is to say nothing about storing up food and ammo, which we should all probably be doing. However, the world that we live in is freaking nuts, that it is very hard not to become an alarmist and wonder when rounds are going to start getting fired. Now, is there ever a time for war? Absolutely. But Christians need to always remember that that is a last resort and that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but of the spirit that we use to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. We fight first by bringing everything into the light. We have to understand that without the proclamation and reception of the gospel, we'll simply just be moving from one war to the next. It will just be a matter of timing between A and B. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no atonement, no reconciliation, no forgiveness, and no peace between God and man, which has a ripple effect all the way down and all the way through. But with the reception of the gospel, there is atonement, reconciliation, forgiveness, and peace with God through the blood of Jesus that runs all the way down and all the way through. There is one Savior and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that all who take refuge in him will be blessed. My advice to everyone on the left and the right would be to kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. Before you go, if you like this podcast, make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review, which is very helpful for us. Until next time, demolish strongholds and go cause a little godly trouble.